If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Everyone seems a little tired and sleepy this morning. Is everyone everyone okay? Okay, I need to wake y'all up. All right, turn to the person beside you. Come on, look at the person beside you. It's not a trick. Turn to the person beside you. Repeat after me. I am so glad that you brushed your teeth. Okay. All right. And if you didn't, we all know. Matthew chapter 5. We're starting, or we're continuing in uh, with our study in the Sermon on the Mount. A great passage, great sermon. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 21. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, start at verse 21. The Bible says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, Whiles thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou shalt be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Really, we're going to focus in on the first uh, couple, two or three verses there. I want to preach a message entitled... The inside is so important. The inside is so important. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that the tomb is empty, is the lady saying just a moment ago. Lord, You had power over death, and no one else can say that. Lord, thank You for dying on the cross and saving me. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross so that I could have an opportunity to go to heaven, to spend all eternity with you. And thank you for convicting my heart those years ago when I was just a young boy to realize that I needed you in order to go to heaven. I needed you to live inside my heart, to forgive me for my sins, that you took my place, and that you conquered death. Lord, I ask you if there's someone here this morning that does not know where they will spend all of eternity. No matter their age, Lord, I pray that you will convict their heart and that they would see their need for you. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, I ask you now that you please forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me from any any self. Lord, may... 
All that I say bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The inside is so important. Think about it. When you go, how many of you like Krispy Kreme donuts? How many of you like a filled Krispy Kreme donuts? You know, you got lemon filled, jelly filled, custard filled, cream filled, whatever else kind of filled. All right, a few of you. Okay. Listen, that phrase, the title of the message, the inside is so important, could not be any more important when dealing with a Krispy Kreme donut. Okay? When I, get a, when I see a Krispy Kreme donut that is filled with something, you know what I do? I've got to check and see what's inside. Because if I bite into a jelly field or a cream field, bleh. But if I bite into a lemon field, oh. It's almost like when the lights just came on. What's on the inside is so important. You know, if I were to take the top off of a can that didn't have a label on it, that didn't know what what it was, and I popped it open thinking it was green beans and it was actually dog food, that would be a problem. What's on the inside is so important. And you know what? The same is for you and I. You know, the outside can be manipulated. It can be changed. It can be changed to look like something else. We can live a life pretending to be someone when really we're not that someone. What's on the inside is so important. The outside can can deceive, it can trick and be turned into a lie, but... The inside is where you find the truth. And the same is with you and I. Jesus has spent some time here. It started at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5. We've been studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's been a slow go. But it's been a beneficial go. Because it's all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we went through the Beatitudes or the complete, perfect blessedness of the Beatitudes there in the first part of chapter 5. It's uh, really verses 1 to 12, Jesus is challenging the disciples. Remember, He's been ministering to the, to the people, and all of a sudden he's, or he's now made His way to the mountainside, and He sits down on the mountainside uh, with, the, uh, with His disciples, and now He's preaching a sermon to Him. Verse 2 says, And He opened His mouth and taught. So He's challenging the disciples as well as us. He's trying to teach us all something. Let me tell you something. Whenever Jesus, you open God's Word and you read about what God says and about what Jesus did, we better be paying attention. Because this book is full of things that we need to learn. And He's challenging the disciples as well as us and these the, the, the Beatitudes. And we went over them. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you can go down through there and you can read all the ways that he's challenging. Then verses 12 to 20, he's charging the disciples. He's giving them a charge. We talked about verse 13 and 14. Whenever Jesus is charging them, as well as us as believers, he says, Uh, that we are salt and light. Verses 13, ye are the salt of the earth. 
And verse 14, ye are the light of the world. That is a charge. That is a charge that has been given. A responsibility that you and I have been given to do. That we are salt and light. Salt preserves. It prevents decay. We as believers are the salt that helps prevent the decay of sin in the world around us. Do you realize that you and I were born for such a time as this? To take the gospel to those right now. He didn't want us to do it 50 years ago, 70 years ago. He didn't want us to do it 50 years in the future, 70 years in the future. He's given us today. And that's a responsibility that you and I have been given. Ye are salt and light. And then the light is to shine the light of the gospel, the hope, the good news of salvation. It tells everyone that the tomb is empty. Because no religion can say that. You can go to any other tomb of any other of the religions and that tomb isn't empty because He conquered death. Like Jesus did. Like my Savior did. Like your Savior did. He conquered death. And so Jesus is charging the disciples here. He is sharing this duty. This is a duty. This is not an option. Notice again those emphatic statements. Ye are. No matter if you like to, want to, wish to, or didn't wish to. Ye are salt and light. Because we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts from the very moment of salvation, we have been given the light that shines upon all, and that light is Jesus Christ. You don't realize the light of Christ should be bright. I don't like a dull light. You know, at the very beginning of the service even, it's neat how the Lord used it. It was kind of not real bright up here. You know what? The light of the gospel should be bright on this sin-darkened world. Do you agree? Should your light be brighter than it is right now? When you tell others that you know Christ, how bright is your light? Or you just kind of fit right in? You know, the light of Christ should be bright, but also the light of Christ should be brilliant or clear, not confusing. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. He's not the author of confusion. We were just talking just uh, yesterday... Uh, and some just some different religion, different religions. What different people believe? Can I say this? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God, our Creator. It's not a religion as though oh, we you got to join this church to go to heaven, or you've got to be baptized to go to heaven, because that's not the case. It's it's through salvation. It's by simple salvation. By grace through faith. God's grace. We didn't deserve it. We were talking just yesterday uh, about some of the religions and all the different things that they believe in. And they have to do these works and they have to go here and they have to believe this. And you know what? It takes way more faith to do all of those other things than it does just to trust God's Word. 
We don't have to do anything. We don't have to make a pilgrimage somewhere. We don't have to do all of these works. Not by works, lest any man should boast. It's all by grace, through faith. So the light of Christ should be bright and it should be brilliant, very clear. And also the light of Christ should be broad, shining to everyone we see. The light should be broad. It's not one of those little tiny uh, laser pointers, little tiny. Our light should be broad. It should be wide. We, everyone should know. Jesus has been ta- teaching the disciples and charging them, you are the salt of the earth and you are the, the light. John 1, 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And listen, here we go. Here's this light here. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Those that don't know the Lord is their Savior... They don't understand it all. They're not supposed to understand it all. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And so it is with you and I. The only thing that the unsaved can understand about God and who God is and the difference God makes in his life It's what they see in you as a believer. Stop and think about that for just a moment. The only thing, the unsaved around you, it's your workplace, where you live, where you bank, where you go to the doctor. The only thing the unsaved understands about God and who God is and the difference God makes in your life is what they see in you. Now let me tell you something, that's convicting to me. That is humbling to me. And can I be real honest? That's scary to me. But we've been given a charge. You and I, all of us, have been given a charge. And let me tell you something, folks. By God's grace, I want Central Baptist Church to be that salt and light in our community, but it's got to be done through you and I. There's no event, there's no special service, there's no special activity that will ever overpower the power of personal friendship and relationships telling others about Christ. We do things to invite the lost to come, to invite others to come, but it's not about this church. It's all about Christ. It's not about you and I. It's all about Him. Jesus is teaching the disciples here. He's teaching the disciples. So He challenges the disciples and He charges the disciples And then here's the message. He's teaching the disciples. This is where we find ourselves now in verse 21. He has kind of transitioned from this challenging and charging. And now he's just teaching the disciples. There's a couple of thoughts here. Jesus speaks to those that knew the law. Look there at verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. The disciples understood what had been taught to them. Okay, from days gone by, he understood, or they understood what he was saying. 
They understood the, that he was teaching, or that they, he, they knew this law. And the person who knows God's word needed the message just as much as anyone else. They knew what the law said concerning taking a life. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill. They knew that already, but they still needed to hear. Next thought, God's law or God's word existed from the beginning. God's word will never cease to exist. God's word will not return void. There's been many people all throughout history that has tried to destroy the Bible, but they've not succeeded. Jesus, the master teacher, is settling in now to teach. The master teacher, the greatest teacher, the most effective teacher. You know, Jesus took many opportunities to teach. Matthew 9.35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Mark 14.49, I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus taught because people needed to hear, apply, and learn what He had to say. And there's no difference today. Why do you come to church? Is it because it's just the thing to do? I come and sit and this is part of my weekly routine? Or do you come with a mindset of learning? Do you come with a desire to learn what God's Word says? You see, coming to church doesn't make you more spiritual. It makes you obedient to God. Coming to church is... For a purpose, so that we can take God's word and then apply it to our life. If you go with me to a restaurant this afternoon or sometime, it does no good for the food to be brought to us and it just sit there and just look at it. It does no good until we what? Apply it to our life, internalize it. And that's what we've got to do as believers. Are you growing in God's word? Talked just a little bit this morning in Sunday school to my Sunday school class. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know Him. Do you have a desire to know God? Do you have a desire to know more about Him? This is exactly what He's doing right here with the disciples. He's teaching them. He's taking, that they need to take what He says and then apply it to their life. You know, some may say, well, I'm out of school. I'm out of college or if you're like me, I barely passed, so I'm glad I'm out. You know, uh, uh, you know, we don't have to learn anything anymore. I don't have to. This Sunday school is just old terms. That's just that's back in the old days. We don't do that stuff anymore. Listen, everything we do is about learning more about who God is. Sunday school is very important. Can I say this? Can I challenge you this morning? If you do not come to Sunday school, can I encourage you to come? You're in a class that's smaller than an than a auditorium size, and your people your age, or it could be couples you go together, or it could be a men's class, a ladies' class, teens, kids, breaking down, broken down in age groups. Why? 
for the purpose of teaching us, just to teach us a little bit more about who God is. So let's look here at what Jesus is teaching. You know what, can I say this? I'm finding the older I get, the more I don't know about God. The older I get, the more I need to learn about Him. The older I get, you know, you, when you're growing up especially, you look at uh, these saints of, uh, uh, that's been saved, these dear men and women in our church that's been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and I just, I just think about, oh, if I could just have the wisdom and knowledge, and you go and talk to them, and they'd say, you know what, I don't know near what I need to know about God. Jesus is teaching the disciples here. He's diving in here into a teaching type section of this sermon. The teachings of murder and anger. Murder. Verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus begins this teaching portion of of His sermon with a very serious topic, and that's murder. And, And if we're all honest, we all know murder is wrong. We all know we have no authority to take the life of another human being. Some Jews could not read the Scripture in the original Hebrew language. And in these times, uh, they had to rely on scribes and, uh, for understanding of the Scriptures. And these scribes and rabbis, a lot of times, uh, they would give them what they thought was the truth or what they thought it could be interpreted as of the truth instead of giving them the truth. Some of the, these scribes use this as an opportunity to change what the true meaning meant in the original language. Can I say this? Always bring your Bible to church. Always bring your Bible to church. I don't want any to be confusing. I don't want, I, by God's grace, I am I, so desirous of to never preach my opinion. I want you to see what God says. I want you to see what God says. I know in the day in which we live and the technology how, as it is that you can have Bibles on phones and iPads and iPods and all that thing and all those type of things. And there's nothing wrong with having the Bible on those devices. But folks, there's nothing like having a Bible. I'm not saying that you can never use an electronic device to read God's Word. That's not biblical for me to say that. There's nothing like having the Bible in your hand. There's nothing like sitting down with someone and reading God's Word in a Bible. Something to think about. Jesus clears some things up real quick when He gives the true meaning of the words. You see, they say here, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in the danger of judgment. He, what happened is people were saying, oh, I, 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 As long as I don't take a life, I'm okay. As long as I don't murder someone, I, I'll be okay. I, 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 it, that's, that's what the law says. Exodus 20, 13, here's the law. Thou shalt not kill. Numbers 35, 16 and 18, If you smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death, and if he smite him with throwing a stone, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be 
put to death, or if he smite him with a hand weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Genesis chapter 4, 1 to 8, we see the first murder. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offspring, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, that shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall his desire shall be his desire, and shall rule over him, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Well, here's the law. I can't take the, uh, I can't take the life of someone. I, I, I can't do that. It's wrong. But Jesus taught. Look at the very next verse. But I say unto you, take notice of what I'm fixing to say, disciples, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. What? You mean it's not just the fact that I can't murder someone now, it's if I'm angry, it's still wrong? Notice in that, the, the example of the very first murder, notice what happened before Cain took the life of his brother Abel. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. The real issue is not the murder. The real issue was the heart attitude before the action. The heart attitude. Your heart attitude will always direct your actions. No difference in this topic of anger. No one in their right mind, wakes up in one morning, puts on a pot of coffee, gets a shower, gets ready for the day's events, and while they're sipping on their coffee, they say to themselves, I think I'm going to kill somebody today. Nobody does that. So what happens? It's something to do with a deeper meaning, and that is their heart. That's their heart. You want to change all the violence crisis we have in the United States changed their hearts. You can take away everything they call a weapon on earth and it's not going to take away murder because it's a heart condition. It's a heart problem. Do you understand? Your heart guides your actions. Teenagers... All over the room, college students, those that are young that are just starting out, if you can get this one thing that your heart guides your actions, you'll have, there'll be no telling what God will do with your life. Parents, are we giving our kids a great example? 
Or is this topic that Jesus is talking about, anger, is this something that's a little bit personal? This topic of anger is not an easy topic to deal with. Our heart attitude drives our very our every actions. Jesus says anger is just as worthy of the same judgment as the one who commits a murder. Jesus here is not only teaching them of the importance of our heart attitude, but he's teaching them that there's that something of greater importance will carry them throughout the rest of this teaching portion of this sermon. And here it is. There are those that read God's Word and interprets God's words to justify their own actions, their own choices, and their own lifestyle. And that is wrong. There's some that reads God, read God's Word. There, there's some that will read God's Word even today. There might be someone under the sound of my voice that you're going to try to read God's Word and then you're going to try to twist it into justifying what your own actions are. No, what it says here is the truth. Our heart is so important because our heart guides our actions. And maybe there's someone in here whose actions of anger is destroying them. Maybe there's a dad here today that your kids, if we were to go talk to your kids, they would say, (coughs) anger (coughs) is killing our family. There may be someone here today that they can look back in their past and if they could say, if they could change one thing in their lives growing up, it would be the anger of someone. The Bible is not a book of laws, rules, do's and don'ts. Even there are laws, rules, do's and don'ts. The Bible is all about God. The Bible is all about our Savior and our Holy Spirit living in our heart. And the Bible tells us how we can be more like Him by knowing Him, Philippians 3 and verse 10. It's not all about us and our do's and don'ts. That's selfish. It's all about Him and how I can be more like Him. And Jesus is teaching His disciples here and He's saying, saying, listen, It's not about the action of murder that's so horrible. It's the heart behind it that's just as bad as the action. And so it is with any sin that we're dealing with. And Jesus is going in to go to great details in the next portions of this Sermon on the Mount. So we see here the act of anger. The act of anger. Remember the very title of the message? What's on the inside is what is so important. The inside is so important. You know what? There's some maybe in this room that you go to church every Sunday. You may come to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night. We may see you out in public and you have put on a facade, a false label. And on the inside... It's what God sees. You can trick me, deceive me, fool me all day long. But it's what's on the inside. For the remainder of the message, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to be sensitive to God's leading in your heart. 
And I'm telling you right now, when we have an invitation, I am going to invite anyone who the Lord has been dealing with to do business with Him. Because I've said it before, my fear is that believers have gotten comfortable sitting in their same pew Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with no change of heart. That their heart is... There's no change. You can read God's Word all day long and it doesn't faze you anymore. It doesn't affect you. Folks, that is a calloused heart. And what's on the inside is what is so important. The act of anger. You know what? There's something interesting about anger. There's two types of anger. Now listen, this is going to get really deep, theological, philosophical, and any other big word that you can think of. Really deep. There's two types of anger. You ready for them? Number one type of anger and the number two type of anger. There's good anger and bad anger. Uh, That's deep, folks. I went four years of Bible college. Four years. That's the best I can do. (laughs) There is good anger. Number one, there is good anger. Ephesians 4.26 Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Good anger. It angers me to know that there are those that are taking the life of unborn children. Now that angers me. Why? Because no one has the authority to take life other than the creator of life. It angers me when my Savior is made fun of, looked down upon, and spoken of in vain. Because He gave His life for them. And how dare they make fun of Him, say His name in vain, use Christian cuss words. That bothers me. And it angers me. But you know what? That anger doesn't cause me to sin. I I don't... That anger doesn't lead me to an action of going and blowing up an abortion clinic or taking the life of that doctor. Oh, that's justified. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to be mean and crude and rude uh, and and call these people all kinds of names in Hollywood. I'm not going to do that. That anger doesn't lead me to an action of sin. There is good anger. Be angry and sin not. My heart attitude in that type of anger is to help those see the truth in a loving and peaceful way. Speaking the truth in love. Our sin, your sin should anger you. Your sin should bother you. Don't ever get comfortable sinning against a holy God because it's wrong. No one in this room is perfect. And I'm telling you right now, it's definitely not me that's perfect. Anger, sin should bother me. It should anger me. Lord, I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to do that against you. So many believers, though, have strayed from the desire to be holy. They strayed from the desire to be godly and Right in the eyes of God. 
Some have even turned their focus to justifying their sin, their wrong attitudes and their wrong choices. Why have they done that? To please self. To please self. Romans 12, 18, If it be possible as much as lieth within you, live peaceably, live peaceably. Our sin, uh, to get angry, our anger, our good anger should not lead us to an action of sin. And then there's bad anger. There's bad anger. There are several reasons for anger, this bad anger, to seek revenge or to hurt someone. And no doubt when I make this list, you're going to think of someone or, or maybe even your life that you've been in that same category. To seek revenge or hurt. You know what? So-and-so did that to me and I'm angry about it and I'm going to do this to them because I'm going to seek revenge. You know what? And they may be deserving, it, uh, deserving of it too. Another reason for anger is to show ego or authority. Well, you know what? My, this worker for me did this, and you know what? I'm going to get angry at them to show them and prove to them that I'm the one in authority here. I'm the big shot here. I'm the boss. You don't do that to me, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to show you and everyone around you. I'm going to make an example out of you. Another reason for anger, to reveal passion or to secure an end. Another one, to show hurt, resentment, or bitterness. How many times, no doubt, there's, there's so many that's been hurt, and that hurt turns to bitterness. That bitterness will turn to anger. And what Jesus is saying is, That heart attitude of anger is just as worthy of the same judgment as the murderer. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. You know, while this list of reasons for anger is not exhaustive, it's not all of the reasons of anger, you know what it is? It's exhausting Because one time or another, you probably could find yourself in this category, in any of these categories. Selfishness is at the root of anger. Anger comes from the root cause of believing someone, some act, some event, or someone's words contradicted your own personal desires. You see, that's what anger does. Anger is it doesn't go your way, or the events don't go your way, or the words don't go your way, and so you get angry because it contradicted what you personally desired, what you wanted. That's what anger does. And that's selfish and that's sin. Folks, let me tell you something. I'm I'm, I'm sitting down in the pew with you because I get angry. And I shouldn't. I should take it to the Lord and focus then more on Him. And Jesus is saying, this is the problem. 
Verse 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or that, that's a term of emptiness or worthlessness. And it was really a very, very troublesome term. Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. The act of anger. Here's what God says about this bad anger. Colossians 3.8 But now ye also put off all these anger, the very first one, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. James 1.19 We talked about that on Sunday nights. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. 1 John 3.15 Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Psalm 37.8 Cease from anger. Stop it! And forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do anger to do evil, and there's the action. The heart attitude directs our actions. Our heart attitude guides our actions. It, folks, man, husband, if you've got a heart attitude of anger, I'm going to tell you right now, you're in the, going in the direction of action that you're going to regret later on. Wife, if you've got a hard attitude of anger that everything just bothers you, you get angry over it, let me tell you something, you're going in a direction that's going to take you to a place of regret. Because it's going to lead you into saying something or doing something that you wish you would have never said or done. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Don't have any part of it. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. and He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Ecclesiastes 7.9 Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. I was a youth pastor for six and a half, seven years. Worked with teenagers for longer than that. You know, you can spot an angry teenager a mile away. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of times in every situation, but a lot of times there's no greater damage to a teenager than anger. Anger at what mom or dad or mom and dad did. Anger that they had to do this. Anger whatever. And I'm not justifying their anger. Don't get me wrong. But I can see it and I have seen it at young ages. Anger is a destroyer. Why? Because anger is sin and sin destroys. So I ask you this morning, 
what's on the inside. What's on the inside? That's what is so important. What is it that you're so angry about? What is it that has just gotten you so riled up and so angry that you feel like you've lost control? Will you surrender it to the Lord this morning? Will you give it to God? Will you quit trying to do it all on your own and get through it on your own? Will you just simply surrender it to Him? Every head bowed and every eye closed.